We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Matthew's account of the Lord's Prayer. 
notice that prayer begins with knowing God as Father. And so when we, we're going to look at those two words right there because they're very important for where Jesus says prayer begins. But first we'll look at, at Father, and then we'll look for just a moment at the word our and why that's significant. So looking at Father, prayer begins with knowing God as Father. This means we pray to our Father as sons. And so the Bible talks about our identity in Christ as sons of God repeatedly in the New Testament. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And so Paul talks about this change in identity that happens for the Christian. He, he talks about our previous state as though we were slaves to something. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to our own desires. We were slaves to our own ways of thinking. We were slaves to uh, the things that we had done in the past that were in rebellion against God, that are harmful to people. He says we were slaves beforehand, but now in Christ we've been made sons. And so in Jesus, Jesus is, is the one that makes prayer possible. The Bible talks about our sins as though they hide God's face from us in Isaiah. Isaiah talks about it, and it's just this picture where you know sin has kind of separated us from God in such a way that we cannot see him clearly. That we cannot come to him. We don't have this intimate access to God because of sin. And what Jesus does on the cross is he bears our sins so that we don't come to the Father as slaves, but as sons. And Paul's very intentional about saying sons here. We're, we're, we're both sons and daughters of the king. But, but you'll notice in the New Testament that oftentimes it just describes Christians as sons. And the Bible's not trying to be sexist here. What is what it's doing is it's showing us something about who we are in Jesus Christ, what we attain in Jesus. So you'll notice that Paul says in Romans 8 there, he says this word, heirs of Christ, right? So in the ancient world, sons were the heirs of the inheritance. And so what Paul is saying is that for the believer in Christ, they have become sons of God. They are heirs with Jesus to the inheritance of the Father is given. And so the idea here is that we have this intimate and constant access to God in a way that those who are not in Christ do not have. That Jesus makes it possible for us to have an intimate conversation with our Father as family. And so if you think about you know, your, your workplace and how you know, there's probably a CEO or, or you know, a boss who's at the top of everything, right? And, and your access to him as like an entry-level or even just above an entry-level employee is probably not real great, right? You don't have a whole lot of conversations with the CEO of your company, right? You're in the spot where CEO can tell you what to do, and rightfully so, but you, know, you don't have a whole lot of access to the CEO to have a conversation with him, right? You're in the spot where you don't have access. Your access is limited. And it's the exact opposite. Because of what Jesus has done as the Son of God, because of our faith in Him and our new identity as sons of God, 
doubts are absent, where doubts are harmful, and where the idea of God being a father just doesn't sound that great. But here's, here's the good news about God being a father. is that God is a father in ways that no earthly father ever is. That God is always good. That he is always kind. That he is always just. That he is always true. He's a father that never lies. He's a father that never abandons. He's a father that always does what is right. And many of us, when we look at our own lives, we, we can't understand that kind of father because we've never seen it before. Friends, this is the good news that God is different than us. That God is not exactly like us. That we're made in His image, not the other way around. So what this means is that your earthly father's failings do not have to define who your God is. That He's different
in, in the prayer, we read our, and then we, we scroll down a little bit in the prayer, and we, we read, uh, we read uh, give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, and we also have forgiven our debtors. And so there's this plural language that Jesus is using here when he talks about prayer. And it's not accidental. Because Christian prayer, biblical prayer, praying to God is not meant to just be an individual experience. It's not meant to be just this, this personal conversation that you have with God and then no one else is ever involved with that. It's all about you and your concerns and you and your life and what is happening with you. It's not just about those things. It's not that you can't bring those things to your Father because He's a good dad. By the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy, Father, right? He cares about us. We can bring our personal requests to God. But when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, he doesn't say, pray like this, my Father, who art in heaven. He says, our Father, who art in heaven. And so prayer for the Christian is supposed to be something that we enjoy in the midst of community. We're meant to pray with and for other believers in Christ. We're meant to be praying with other people and for other people. Our prayers are not just made to be about us. See, the, the reason our prayer lives are so boring and dull and destructive sometimes is because they're always centered on us. Because all we pray about is us. All we pray for is us. And we don't pray with anyone else. We pray by ourselves. But Jesus says the way prayer starts is we pray to the Father with our brothers and sisters. We pray with our family to our Father. And so when we come together to pray, whether it's on a Wednesday night or you know whether it's you know in response to a service as we're praying with prayer partners or or whatever it may be, whenever we're praying in Sunday school classes, whatever it looks like, when we pray together, we're doing something that is biblical and good and something that Jesus. Knowing that he has a kind of authority to either grant or 
that God knows what is best because he's sitting on his throne and, ru and ruling over the earth, over creation, and over us as the rightful king, as the one who should be Lord in our hearts and lives. He is reigning and ruling from heaven. And so Jesus says prayer begins with the God who is in heaven. And, who's, and we pray recognizing that rule and reign. So, so the question we, you know, we ask is, you know, is that, you know, just from these first few words that Jesus gives us is, are your prayers most of the time about the kingdom? Or are they about God and other people? Are your prayers constantly centered on your own concerns, your own anxieties, your own fears, your own decisions in life? Or do they often concern God's own glory, recognizing who God is as Father and King, the one who sits in the heavens and rules rightly? Or are they concerned with just you? Do your prayers begin with God? Or they, do they begin with your fear and concern? See, Jesus teaches us to begin prayer with God. To, to, to see him as Father, to see him as King, to recognize his rule. And then he says, prayer begins with praising God's name. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed is not one that we commonly use. I don't know when the last time you were in a conversation with a friend and you just said, yeah, hallowed. You know, it just doesn't work like that, right? We don't use it anymore. But it's, it's important to understand what this word means because it's telling us something about God. For, for God's name to be hallowed means for it to be holy. It means for it to be made or recognized as holy. So when we pray, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, we're praying that we would recognize who God is according to his character and his attributes. Pastor Cameron listed out some of those attributes as we were going through worship, right? And he's talking through what the infiniteness and the eternality of God means. It means that God is bigger than us and that he's always been. And so when we come to God in prayer, part of prayer, Jesus says, is recognizing and ascribing to God who he is. It's hallowing his name, recognizing him as holy, as pure, as good, as just, as true, as eternal, as sovereign. When we come to God in prayer, an essential aspect of this is recognizing and praising God for his attributes and his qualities, for who he is. 
that people would come to know the name of God that represents his own character. That they would know him as a good father and a good king. We pray for God's name to be hallowed as his, and as his people. What that looks like is, is praying that he would help us live in a way that represents who he is. And so we, we pray for God's name to be hallowed uh, and we pray as we pray that that we would grow in holiness, that we would grow as
how radical this kind of prayer is that Jesus is asking us to pray, that he's teaching us to pray. He's saying your concerns, your agenda should be primary in your prayer life. Prayer is not about you getting what you want from God. Prayer is about God establishing his will in your life. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So that totally transforms how we pray. Because if we're coming to God with concerns, instead of saying, Lord, here's how I want this situation to turn out, instead what we're praying is, God, would you establish your redemptive rule and reign in this situation? Lord, I don't know what that might look like, but I know that you do, and that you're king, and that you sit on the throne, and I don't. And so, God, would you bring your kingdom in this situation, in this person's heart, in this marriage, in this whatever workplace environment you're in, whatever it looks like for you, it's praying about God's concerns and God's agenda rather than just our own. Jesus is flipping the way that we think about prayer on its head. Because most of the time when we think about prayer, we think about it as something that benefits us. When the reality is prayer is not meant to get God on board with you, but to get you on board with God. To help you understand
saying that sometimes God wants kind of give you some insight into you know the wise decisions that you should make. You know, picking this school over that school, or this job over that job, or you know, marrying this person over that person because there's some important differences sometimes, right? That we need to discern. But God cares much more about your holiness than every little decision you make. He cares that you're holy in the decision. And he's not as concerned about you making the wrong choice. He's not sitting there like, man, I hope she makes the right choice there. That's not how God's will works. God's will looks like getting to know God for who he is. So that as we make decisions in life, we're doing so as those who are testifying to the holiness of his name. That with the way we're living our lives, the way we make decisions with biblical wisdom is demonstrating who our God is. That instead of being concerned about which tool is going to be best for me and which job is going to be best for me, instead of approaching it from that perspective, we approach it from, God, how can I see your kingdom brought and your will be done in this decision as I decide which school to go to or which degree program to take or which job to pursue? Whatever decision it might be in life, how can I honor you with this? What would it look like for God's kingdom to be brought about through whatever vocation I pick? Whatever job I'm working at currently, whether it's at Subway or McDonald's or whether it's the CEO of a major corporation, what would it look like to ask for God's name to be hallowed in my work? What would it look like for God's kingdom to come, for people to come to know Praying for God's will looks like people 
the you know recent things that have come out in the SBC about the way that churches have handled abuse that looks like learning and gaining an understanding so that we can respond better. It looks like seeing disasters happen. And like some of our members have been able to do, 